Well, amen. Aren't you glad that he first loved us? Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to just say a special thanks to Pastor Seth for this invitation. You are a good friend, and I want you to know you all have a great pastor. Amen? Now, let's let him know that. Now, I'm bound by the law to not be able to tell you, but I want you to know he is one of our best doctoral students, and uh, we're just, it's such a joy and an honor and a privilege to have him. And I want to bring you uh, the Cross Lanes Baptist Church greetings from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, where the West begins. Have, have any of y'all ever been to Fort Worth before and seen the seminary? A few of you? Okay, good. Well, we want you to just walk around like you own the place when you come to Southwestern, because you do. I don't know if you realize this or not, but when you just gave an offering, did you know that you made an investment in the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention? You say, well, I didn't know what that, I don't even know what that is to know I did it. Well, when you just gave, you just gave to help fund a missionary force of 3,667 missionaries all around the world, many of whom who you'll never know till we get to heaven, many of whose stories you'll never know, but I want you to know, I know many of them, and they are telling people who have no access to the gospel about Jesus Christ because of what you just put in the plate just a moment ago. So don't forget to pray for them. Also, uh, uh, we're, Annie Armstrong's coming up, if you've heard about that. And uh, what you give also helps fund a missionary force here in North America of church planters to uh, get, get the gospel and take churches where there are no churches uh, in cities around uh, the United States and in Canada and Mexico. And so you just gave to that. And also you give to help subsidize the education of uh, God-called men and women in our seminaries. So we just want to say thank you so much for your gifts to the cooperative program. And before I preach, I do want to just uh, say one thing to you tonight. Please do come at 5.30 tonight. Now, some of you, when you heard evangelism training, you said, that's not for me. I can't memorize. I'm, I, I don't memorize things well. You may think your age doesn't allow you to do that. Well, here's the good news. There will be not one bit of memorization tonight. But you're going to learn something. So realize, tonight, you're going to learn how to do evangelism without having to memorize one thing. I'm not going to have one diagram you have to remember. I'm not going to have one uh, acrostic phrase or one uh, anything that you have to memorize at all. In fact, I want you to know that if you know enough of the gospel to be saved by it, you know enough of the gospel to share it. And I want to show you how you can do that tonight. So please come today. Tonight we're having everyday evangelism. But another way, maybe for some of you, it's evangelizing without memorizing. And we want you to come and be a part of that tonight uh, as we have that at 530. If you've got a tablet or a phone uh, or a, a Bible itself, would you just open it up or turn it on to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10. And uh, this, uh, this morning we want to look at Mark chapter 10, begin reading in verse 17 through 22. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. The title of my message this morning is Unfollow. Uh, unfollow. Now, some of you say, that's a new word to me. Well, what does unfollow mean? I know what follow means, but what is unfollow? Many of you, I'm sure, how many of y'all use Facebook? Anybody use Facebook here? Now, God knows your heart. Okay, yeah. Some of you don't, may not use it well, but you, you use it, amen? Uh, Facebook, on Facebook, I don't know about you, I've got uh, close to 4,000 friends on Facebook. I don't know half of them, but anyway, I, you know, I, that's, how, that's how that works, you know. But I've got some friends on Facebook, and maybe you do too. Maybe you can give me a witness on this. Do you have any friends on Facebook that whatever it is that you think about Christian ethics or politics 
or religion. They think the exact opposite. Anybody know anybody like that? Yeah, some of you are smiling. Some of you are thinking about the last thing that they said. Yeah, I've got, in fact, I've got a few, but I've got one particular person I have in mind. Man, when it comes to Christian living and what it means to live as a Christian or what it means to, 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 to know who God is and Jesus Christ or what it has to do with politics, whatever I believe, and I won't tell you what I believe, but you'll see some of that probably today, not the politics necessarily, but, but, but for sure the, the religion. Whatever I believe about God and the Christian life and politics, she believes the exact opposite. And uh, we're friends, and, and you know, I'll be honest with you, I'd see what she'd post on there, and it would just aggravate me, and I wanted to unfriend her, but, you know, if I do that in real life, it's kind of awkward when you unfriend somebody in real life, and so I just, you know, I would see what she'd post, and one time I remember she posted something that just was so egregious against the Christian faith. I, I spent an hour uh, not only working out the grammar and the style and all that stuff, but the precision of the logic. I mean, I was just trying to, you know, I, I wanted to be right. I wanted to win an argument and not worry about winning the soul. And that's my my bad. But But I had written this thing up and I said, Hope, my wife, I said, Hope, I want you to read this and tell me what you think about this. She read it and she said, mm, mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. and I said, what do you think about it, honey? She said, you want, to tell me, you want me to tell you what I think about it? I said, yeah, just go ahead and tell me how good it was, you know. She said, I think you ought to throw it away. I said, throw it away? I spent an hour on that, you know. She said, it's not going to do any good for anybody. And in the, in, in the long run, you'll probably push her away more than you'll actually attract her to anything. So as any good husband, I did what my wife said, amen. And so I threw it away. Um, but, but there was a feature that came out a few years ago. I don't know if you know about this. For some of you, you're gonna, you may not thank me for the sermon, but you'll thank me for the Facebook tip. Uh, there are some people that are like that, that you don't want to unfriend. But if you go to their page, the first thing you see under their picture is it says you're friends. And the next option is it says you're following. When you become a friend on Facebook, you are automatically following. In other words, anything that they say, you're going to see. But if you click on that little button that says follow, there's another option that comes up. Anybody know what it is? Unfollow. It is a sanctifier in my Christian life. Amen. I just go on there and I click that unfollow button with that lady and praise be to Jesus. I got closer to Jesus just automatically just when that happened. I mean, I was walking with Jesus even closer, holding his hand. And it was so great because now the only time I can see anything she says is if I go to her page. And I don't want to do that. I want to keep close to Jesus. And so we're still friends, but I'm just not following. I've unfollowed her. In our text today, we have a real-life account in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as it were, Jesus is going to get into discussion with a rich young ruler. That's what he's referred to in other places. And he's going to get in this discussion. And they're going to talk about the Christian ethic, how you live your life. They're going to talk about politics, but not Republican and Democrat. But they're going to talk more about this kingdom of God in which there is no president, there is no king, there is no senator, there is no congressman or congresswoman, there are no elected officials. In fact, there is one king who is appointed who is Jesus Christ who rules and reigns over his kingdom. And they're going to talk about that kind of politic. And then they're going to talk about God. And this man, I want you to pay attention as we read, this man, as it were, if, it was in face, if Facebook was back then, he will have the opportunity to click the follow or the unfollow button. And in fact, some of you, you woke up and came to church this morning and you thought, well, I'm just going to go through the motions. But you've come here today and you too, just like this young man, 
have an opportunity, have a decision to make, you today will either click the follow or the unfollow button when it comes to uh, knowing who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. So as you've got your place, Mark chapter 10, follow along with me in the text. The Bible says, and as he, as Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments, don't murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things since my youth. And looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have, give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving, the Bible says, because he had many possessions. I don't know if you recognize it or not, but when I read that text, this text gives us some determining factors for who we think Jesus is and what we think it means to follow Jesus. In fact, whether or not you knew it, know it or not, every one of you have an idea about who you think Jesus is. Some of you think Jesus was a good guy. Some of you think that Jesus was a rebel. Some of you think Jesus was, was convicted and, and uh, you know, kind of got our bad rap. Some of you think Jesus is a, a spiritual guru. And some of you think Jesus is Lord. Who you think Jesus is and what you think it means to follow him can be determined in three different ways. It can be determined by what you're willing or unwilling to say. It can be determined by what you're willing or unwilling to do. Or it also can be determined by what you're willing or unwilling to surrender. So let's look at those in our text this morning. And, and first of all, I want you to see that who Jesus is to you right here and right now and what you understand it means to follow him can be determined by what you're willing or by what you're unwilling to say. Look what the Bible says. Jesus was getting ready to set out on a journey and an interruption came into his life. A young man ran up to him and knelt before him, showing him deference, respect, and reverity. And he said to him, good teacher. Now that's going to be important if you take notes or underline or circle. Uh, that'd be an important phrase to look at because there's going to be something that's going to go on here in just a moment that's going to be real uh, insightful for you. But he calls Jesus good teacher. And then this young man asks Jesus the most important question anybody could ask anyone else. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man was a man who had evidently gotten some kind of inheritance. The Bible says, actually, in verse 22, that he had great possessions. He may have gotten those on his own, but more than likely in that day, many times you got great possessions because you inherited it from your father or from uh, your father's father or something like that. So this man had an inheritance, but there was something in the inheritance to which he possessed that he did not have, and that was eternal life. What does it mean? Maybe you're here, and maybe you're hearing talking about inheriting eternal life. What does that mean? 
Well, friends, it's the most important question anybody could ask. To inherit eternal life means to possess the kind of life that Jesus can only give in this life and in the life to come. You say, what does that mean? Well, Jesus gives us life. In fact, in John 10.10, he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. The life in this here and now, the life that Jesus is talking about, is not the kind of life you see by a lot of preachers on TV. It doesn't mean that you're going to get as much money as you want. It doesn't mean that you're going to get the vehicle that you want. It doesn't mean that you're going to live in the house necessarily that you want. Now, you may get some of those things, but the life that Jesus gives is no guarantee of those things. In fact, it goes even beyond that. And the life that Jesus gives is not necessarily an easy one. It's not one that is, is, is uh, absent of any kind of pain and sorrow. In fact, the life that Jesus gives and offers and calls and demands is one where we take up a cross and follow Him. This life, though, though I don't want you to think it's so bad because, in fact, if you have the kind of life that Jesus gives you here in this life, though not everything will go right in your life, not everything will go the way you expect it to go, you will have a peace from God. You will have a joy that only comes from God that even in the bad times, even in the health diagnoses, even in the downturn in the economy, even whenever there's breakups or whatever, you will have the kind of peace and joy that only comes from Him that will sustain you in the bad times. Jesus offered that kind of life as an inheritance, but it wasn't just in this life. It was also in the hereafter. You see, every one of us, whether or not you know this or not, every one of us is dying Uh, You could look at a picture of me from seminary when uh, Pastor Seth and I were there. And, man, I was this skinny, scrawny-looking kid, you know. And, and, uh, in fact, I had professors that would say, I would go up and ask questions after the first day of class. And they'd say, well, you know, son, we appreciate you being here, but ask your dad. He's in the class. I said, no, I'm in the class, you know. And I used to be young and skinny. And, I mean, look at me now. I mean, uh, Pastor Seth, he's not aged one day. In those 20 years, he, he, he's got some kind of, of uh, uh, fountain of youth uh, uh, tonic or something that he drinks. But, but other than him, all of us know that we're really not living. We're actually dying. Do you know that? We're actually dying. And actually one day, because of our sin, the Bible says the soul that sins, it will surely die. When you die one day, what will happen? Where will you go? Are you the kind of person that goes through life and says, look, I know about God and I know what he wants and and I don't mind doing some things, but you know, I want to be my own God. I don't want God in my life. I want a life without God and all his demands. I don't want to say to God, God, your will be done. Well, if you're here like that and you go throughout all your life, I want you to know that in the end, God will say to you, thy will be done. And he'll give you the kind of life and existence that's without him in a place called hell. No one wants to go to hell. I don't want you to go to hell. And I'm not saying this happy about it. Friends, Jesus died to save us from hell. He saved us so that we could have the kind of life in the hereafter that is with Him forever, in peace and joy, together with those who know Him. Jesus gives us that kind of life, the life that's here, the life that's hereafter. 
And he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, by profession, I am a professor of evangelism. So I teach people how they tell others how they can inherit eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this without going any further, and I hear this man ask Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I fully expect Jesus to say something like this. Well, young man, it's as easy as A, B, C. A, what? Admit. Yes, some of y'all been in Bible school here, haven't you? A, admit you're a sinner. And B, what? Believe. Believe that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and on the third day was raised from the dead. And it's as easy as C, which is? Confess. Confess Jesus is your Lord. I mean, isn't that what you expect Jesus to say here? What must I do to inherit your life? It's as easy as ABC. But isn't it interesting that that's not the first thing Jesus says? And Jesus' reply is not the ABCs, but it's a question to this man's question. And the Bible says in verse 18, Jesus asks him, Why do you call me good? Isn't that kind of strange for Jesus to say? What must you do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? You see, but Jesus is not avoiding the question. Jesus is actually getting to the question. Because this man, if you'll remember, I said a moment ago, when he addresses Jesus, do you remember what he calls him? Good teacher. Jesus picks up on that. And by the way, Jesus knows exactly who this young man thinks he is. This man thinks Jesus is nothing more than a good teacher. Good being better than bad teacher. And he says, why do you call me good? He goes on to say here in verse 18, no one is good except God alone. In the Old Testament, even in Hebrew writings that were not biblical, it never ever, we, we find it nowhere in any Hebrew writing that it ever says a human being is good. In fact, what we see is things like this. The soul that sins, it will die. No one is righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But those are the kinds of things that we see in Hebrew writing, in Hebrew religion. We are not good. No human is good. But on the other hand, we do see that there is one who is good in the Hebrew Scriptures. You can find it in First Chronicles as well as Ezra as well as the Psalms. And maybe you can help me out with this. It says something like this, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is You see, God is good. So Jesus is saying, why are you calling me good, teacher? Why are you calling me good? Because there's only one good, and that's God. Jesus is doing one of two things. Either he's saying to the man, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. I'm not good. Why are you calling me good? Now, that's an option, but that's not what Jesus is doing. We find from the rest of the whole conversation. The other option is what Jesus was doing, and that was that Jesus was saying, only God is good. You have called me good. Are you willing to call me God? You see, because Jesus was God, Jesus knew exactly what this man thought about him. And you know it goes beyond that. Do you know that Jesus right now is looking down in your own heart and your own mind, and Jesus knows what you think of him right now? Jesus asks the man, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. And this is our first determining factor. Because who Jesus is to you 
And what you understand it means to follow him can first and foremost be determined by what you're willing or unwilling to say. By what you're willing or unwilling to say. Look at how this man responds to Jesus when he says, No one's good except God alone. Why are you calling me good? How does he respond? Look at verse 20. And the rich young ruler says to him what? Teacher. Some versions may say master. Anybody notice what's missing there? Good. You see, this man knows exactly what Jesus is getting at. He knows that Jesus is calling for a verbal confession that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And this man, knowing what he thinks about Jesus, when he's asked about it, he comes back to Jesus, he drops the good, and he says, you're a teacher. How is it with you today, friend? Are you willing to say Jesus is Lord? Maybe somewhere in the past as a younger uh, person, somewhere along the line, you actually used those words and you prayed to God and you said, Jesus is Lord, but you weren't moved by the Holy Spirit to do so. Maybe you said that and you've tried to live a life related to that, but you realize today that all you did was say words. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Maybe God's Spirit right now is speaking to your heart to realize that you've never, with all your heart and mind and soul, said to God, Jesus is Lord and meant it. You've never said that prompted by the Holy Spirit who loved you first. And today Jesus is calling you to be willing to say not just that Jesus is a good teacher, but that Jesus is God. Because, friends, who Jesus is to you, what you understand it means to follow Jesus, can be determined by what you're willing or unwilling to say. But there's a second determining factor. Who Jesus is to you, and what you understand it means to follow him, can also be determined by what you're willing or by what you're unwilling to, say, uh, to do. To do. Look at what Jesus says as he continues in verse 19. He says, you know the commandments. And look at these. You've heard these before. Do not murder. Don't take someone else's life. Don't commit adultery. Don't be physically or emotionally unfaithful to someone who is not your spouse. Don't commit adultery. Do not steal. Don't take what's not yours. Do not bear false witness. Let me just stop there. Now, to be sure, we're not supposed to lie, right? Amen? Are you lying? No, no, we're not supposed to lie, right? But this is not just saying simply don't lie. This is talking about a particular kind of lie. Bearing false witness is when you say someone did not do something that in fact they did. Or when you say that someone did something that they didn't do. It's being a witness, a, a testifier in the court of law, as it were. So, so don't bear false witness. Don't say something about someone else that they did or did not do. Don't bear false witness. Next, do not defraud. Don't cheat someone out of what they have. In fact, many commentators, I agree with them, really think that this is Jesus' way of rewording the Tenth Commandment. Do not covet it. If you covet, if you desire what your neighbor has, what do you want? What they have. 
and you try to cheat them out of it. So don't defraud, don't cheat someone out of it. And then last, honor your father and your mother. I see we've got a number of students here today. I'm so glad that you are here with us today. And I just want to say to the students, to be sure, you have to obey your parents. And all the parents said... Amen. Amen. All right. Y'all heard that one. You may not amen anything else, parents, but you're going to amen that. You ought to obey your parents. In fact, the Bible says it time and time again. It's in Colossians. It's also in Ephesians. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So don't go out of your students saying, the preacher said I don't have to obey you. You have to obey your parents. But that's not really what Jesus is getting at here, not just mere obedience. Jesus says, honor your father and your mother. So what does that mean? Let me, maybe a, a real life example illustration will help. When I was younger, uh, we had these things, we didn't have cell phones like we do today, uh, but, but we, we uh, for people that did, our family, let's just say this, our family didn't have a cell phone back then, but we did have a Nintendo. Now some of you students don't know what that is, but you can ask your parents about it later. Uh, but we had a Nintendo and there was a game called Super Mario Brother. And, and man, I, I love that game. When I came home, I was playing that game. <coughs> I was the Luigi character on that. And man, I was just going along. And this particular day, I was so far along in Super Mario Brothers, I'd never done it before, uh, bef- before that time. And so I was coming along, and right at that crucial moment when I was trying to get to the next stage, my dad said, son, it's time to take out the garbage. Well, because I was so enthralled into my game, I said, dad, you take out the garbage. Well, he's going to take the garbage out and me, amen? Uh, When I said that, he said, son, I don't think you heard me. Get off of the game and take out the garbage. So I threw that controller down. I had to get a new controller. I threw that controller down. I got up and I stomped over to the trash can and I jerked that trash out and trash flew everywhere. And I cinched that bag up and I slammed the door on that uh, trash on that trash bag and I came and I stomped out and I went to the door and I opened that door and I wanted to just break that door I slammed that door as hard as I could and I went out and I took the trash out I came back in and opened that door again I slammed it even harder and I'm kind of a clean freak so I went and washed my hands and then I after I did that then I stomped in there and I sat down and I huffed and I puffed and I said now my dad told me to take out the trash did I obey him? Well, I see, 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 now there's some confusion. Did I take the trash out? Yes, so I obeyed him. You see, it's not talking about mere obedience. It's talking about obedience with what? Honor. Some of you children may need to come up to the altar today, okay? And, and just get right with your parents. You've not honored. And Jesus says, honor your father and your mother. What do we call these usually? Do y'all know what we call these? Ten, ten, ten Commandments. Yeah, Ten Commandments. So Jesus is saying this is what someone who has eternal life would do. Jesus knew everything because he was God. He knew everything this man did do. He also knew everything this man had not done. And how does the man respond? He says, verse 20, Teacher, I have kept all these things. All of those things you just said, I have kept those ever since my youth. Now, he's not saying ever since he was born he had done those. That that phrase, ever since my youth, is a colloquialism in that day to say, ever since my uh, 12th year, ever since my bar mitzvah, ever since I became a son of the covenant and the commandments, I have kept those commandments you just said. 
And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think, man, if that guy has done all that since he was 12 years old, there's no hope for me. I mean, I already told you what I did with Super Mario Brothers, right? I mean, I dishonored my parents. I, I already messed up, you know. But this man says this, and many times when we read that, we say that this list of commandments that he said he had kept since his youth commends the rich young ruler. Are you all with me on that? We usually think it commends him. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that that list does not commend him. That list condemns him. Some of you say, well, where's that at? Condemns him? Look at all the good he's done. Now, ma'am, you you said, I'm not trying to pick on you, but I heard you distinctly. I know there's others, the preacher, but I don't want to pick on him because, you know, uh, uh, he he may never have me back. But but I'm not going to pick on you, but you said Ten Commandments here, right? Ten Commandments, right? Help me out here. I'm a little little bad with math. I did have to retake Algebra 1 and 2 in school and go to summer school. So help me out. I don't want to mess up in front of my good friend, uh, Pastor Seth. So help me out here. I'm going to say a commandment that's here in the text, and you help me count it, okay? Got it? Do not murder. Okay? Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, ma'am, you said Ten Commandments. And that's only six. Where are the other four? Did Jesus forget those four? No, he gave those four. Let me, let me tell you, Jesus knew everything that this man had done. He said, I've done all these things. But Jesus also knew everything he had not done. And guess what? There were four commandments he had not kept. You see, the six commandments are the commandments that are pretty easy for most of us. They're the commandments that we call the, uh, the horizontal commandments. It's between human beings. It's the way we treat each other. We call it moral law. He had kept all those commandments. In fact, if you would have seen him in that day, you would have said, that's a pretty good old boy. Some people, when they look at you, they say, oh, that's a good guy. That's a good girl. That's a good man. That's a good lady. Because they do the things that, you know, moral people do. But you see, this Jesus left out four things because he knew this man had not kept four of the commandments. Just like, by the way, sir, God knows what you've done and what you've not done. And ma'am, he knows what you've not done and what you've done. And he knows what I've done and what I've not done. You know which commandments he had left out? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no graven image and worship it. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall keep the Sabbath holy, for the Lord your God rested on the seventh day. You see what Jesus is getting at? He was needling at this man because he was unwilling to say that Jesus was God. And he also realizes he still has a God problem because he's not willing to worship God. Who Jesus is to you. What you understand it means to follow him can be determined not only in what you're willing or unwilling to say, but what you're willing or unwilling to do. I believe all of you are pretty good people. But how are you as it comes to worshiping the one true God? Maybe today is the day in your life when not only you will say that Jesus is Lord, but you will also worship Him as the Lord. You will have Him as your only God. Because there are no other true gods. There's only false gods, by the way. What are you willing to say? What are you willing to do? 
And that leads us to our third determining factor of who Jesus is and what we think it means to follow him. And I want you to see this, that who you think right here and now, right there where you're sitting on the pew, who you think Jesus is and what you think it means to follow him can also be determined by what you're willing or unwilling to surrender. Look at what the Bible says here in verse 21. Jesus says, looking at him, Jesus loved him. I'm sure because he was in the presence of God Almighty, and he knew that Jesus, he already knew what Jesus was getting at. He knew that Jesus knew he was unwilling to say Jesus was Lord. He knew that Jesus knew what he had done and what he had not done. And I'm sure the guilt I'm sure the shame, I'm sure the embarrassment was heaped upon his shoulders. I'm sure he felt, I'm the most unlovable person in the world. I'm the most unforgivable person in the world. There's no hope for me or to have eternal life. And maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe as I went through this list, you realized that maybe you've not killed anybody, but Jesus said, if you've hated your brother, you've committed murder. Maybe you realize that you have emotional connections with members of the opposite sex that you don't have with your own spouse telling them things that you wouldn't even tell your spouse and there's hidden secrets that you have. Are you committing adultery? Maybe you're taking time away from your employer. Maybe you're stealing. Maybe you're bearing false witness. Maybe you're saying wrong things about people. Maybe you're trying to cheat other people out of things. Maybe you are not or have not honored your father and your mother. And as you see that, you put your life against the rubric of the Ten Commandments, you feel pretty bad right now, too. You feel pretty unlovable right now, too. You feel pretty unforgivable right now. But you know what the Bible says? Though he may have felt that way, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And brothers and sisters if, and friends, if you're visiting here today and maybe you're feeling that way, maybe you're feeling unlovable. Friends, you know what? God in heaven, Jesus Christ on the throne at the right hand of God is looking down right now at you, feeling the weight of your own sin and almost being buried underneath it. And Jesus is looking. Ma'am, Jesus loves you. Sir, Jesus loves you. Ma'am, right there, Jesus loves you. Young man, I see Jesus loves you. Ma'am, Jesus is looking down at you, and he loves you, and he loves us all. You say, how? What's the proof? How could he love me? Matt, you don't know what I've done. Oh, I don't know what you've done, but that's not the determining factor whether or not Jesus loves you, because I know what Jesus has done. Jesus, the God-man, came to this earth, and he died on Calvary's cross for your sins. He took in his body on the tree God's wrath against our sin. He was put into the tomb, and three days later, by resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, he came out of that tomb, and he, ra- he was raised, and he lives, and he sits now at the right hand of God. And friends, the Bible says God proves, God demonstrates his love to us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the proof that Jesus loves you. The Bible says, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go your way, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. He doesn't say eternal life with this yet. He says you'll have treasure. What does this mean? Does that mean we need to just come up and write a checkbook for all of our check? Not necessarily. You see, it's not that this man doesn't have a problem. Excuse me, it's not that this man does not have a God. 
The man's problem is he's got the wrong God, his possessions. So Jesus is saying, this false God of your possessions that you're putting before me, you've got to surrender that. Brothers and sisters, if you're here and your possessions are in the way of you and God, God's saying, get rid of them. You say, if I get rid of them, I'll have nothing. Oh, friend, if you get rid of that false God in your life, you'll have everything if you trust in Jesus. Some of you, maybe you say, well, I don't have a lot of money, so I, you know, I kind of dodged that one. But friends, maybe a relationship is the, the kind, you know, what someone thinks about you is your God. Or maybe your reputation is your God. Or maybe something else is your God. And maybe your time is your God. Maybe, uh-oh, maybe this is your God. What you're giving all your attention to while your kids are jerking at you saying, give me just a little bit of attention. God's saying whatever it is that's God in your life and not Him, lay it down and surrender it today. And surrender it, but not just surrender it. Don't just lose that thing. He says, gain everything. Look at this. Then come and follow me. Jesus is saying, as, ter- as far as a Christian ethic, as far as a politic, as far as what God is and who God is, follow me. Click the follow button. And today, friends, you can click the follow button. Today, you can follow Jesus. Not in a real sense where we're going to have Jesus come down and you walk right after him. But today, you can turn away from your sin. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and let him live in you. Today, you can do that if you only will. This man, given the opportunity to click the follow or the unfollow button, the Bible says, verse 22 But he was dismayed by this demand. And he went away grieving, or some translations say sorrowful, because he had many possessions. Brothers and sisters, this man heard the good news, heard how he could inherit eternal life, and he clicked the unfollow button. What will you do today? Some of you are here today and you know that you've got an okay life, but you don't have the kind of life that Jesus talks about that's abundant and free. Some of you are here today and you realize that if you were to die, you're scared to death of death because you don't know what would happen after you die. Friends, today you can settle that question today. Today, by the way, it's not a coincidence that you're here and you're hearing this message. God sent me from Texas to tell you he loves you and he wants to give you eternal life. What do you have to do, Matt? You have to do three things, the Bible says. Repent, believe, and confess. What's repent? Does that mean I just walk and turn? No, no, no. Repent is to change your mind. To realize that God doesn't want your goodness he only wants the righteousness of Christ. Change your mind about what you can offer. You can't offer God anything, and nor can I. But believe in Jesus, who died and was buried and raised, and then with your mouth to confess He is Lord. Today, I call you to click the follow button. Today, will you follow Jesus? Some of you are here today and say, Whew, I'm glad He preached that those people don't know Jesus. I, I can get out of here unscathed today. No, no. Friends, the Bible says that G- this man went away from Jesus sorrowful because he had great possessions. And that's a sorrowful thing. But do you know what? There's something more sorrowful than someone hearing the gospel and rejecting it. You know what it is? Someone who never hears the gospel so they can either accept or reject it. And guess what? You work with them. You live beside them. You dine with them. 
you go to their stores. And there's people here in West Virginia that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And something more sorrowful than them rejecting Christ is that they've never heard Christ. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, guess what? You wouldn't worry about whether they rejected it or not. You'd worry that they'd heard the gospel to accept it or reject it. And maybe today God is calling you with this who's your one emphasis. Some of you say, well, I'll just do it there in the pew. And you can do it on the pew. But you know what? Some of you need to come up here and pray or come and take the pastor by the hand and publicly be held to account to say, you know what? This is serious enough to me. It's sad enough to me. It's sorrowful enough to me that I want to make sure that anybody that comes across my way, they hear about Jesus. And I want to make a public commitment of that today. So I'm going to ask as we sing this song, Just As I Am, that you would respond the way the Lord's leading you to respond. Don't leave here saying, well, I'll do it just as I will be. God may not give you another opportunity, friend. God wants you to come right now just as you are, not how you think you need to be. He wants you to come today. So as we have our musicians come, Pastor Seth, as you come to the front, I'm going to invite you all to stand. And as God has called us to respond, I invite us to do so. Would you stand and would you come right now just as you are? Just as I am.